0: Continuing in our series of Monday homilies through the Book of Acts, we come today to chapter 17, beginning at verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day and those who happened to be there. Also some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of a foreign divinity. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us. We'd like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The word of the Lord. Once again, O God, we ask that you would be gracious to our seeking the word for which our souls are thirsty. a word that can only be given to us by your Holy Spirit. We ask it in the name of the Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. We're told that Athens was a place where the people spent their time in nothing but hearing or telling something new. Some things never really change, do they? We love the hearing and telling of something new. We can get it from social media, we can get it from gossip, we can get it from an advertisement that promises that new whiter teeth will make us happy. We can get it from a new philosophical construct, even one that deconstructs all other constructs. (laughs) Doesn't really matter if it's true, it just has to be new. So it's not surprising that Athens is a city filled with idols, because they have to keep making room for the next new idol peddling more new ideas new ways of finding salvation. At the center of the town was the towering statue of Athena. We're told that you could see the the glimmering point to her spear from miles away from town. Around her were the gods of Zeus and Neptune and Apollos and Venus and Diana, and around them were some of the lower gods of the Olympus, the gods of Earth, the gods of the under Earth, Beyond them were even even more. There, There was always room in Athens for a new God, a new idol to worship, a new idol that would provide another hope for salvation. That's what idols are. It's whatever or whoever you're using to save your own life. When Paul saw these idols, we're told that he was distressed. Paul was Jewish. He knew that the... Hebrews had had their own history with idols and it never worked out well for them. Anytime they would grow discouraged with a God who would not come on demand, but who did in fact make demands of the people, they would turn to their neighbors and see these idols and they would try it out themselves, gods of wood and stone, gods they could form and shape with their own hands, gods that were completely predictable. You could tie a rope around them and drag these idols around anywhere you wanted to. When you left them someplace you could come back, they were right where you left them. There's no mystery to it. These idols promise wonderful things, fertility, prosperity. They don't demand loyalty. This is the kind of God we want. All promise, no demands. Now you would think that Athens, the city of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, Cities so filled with smart people, would not be drawn to idols. Just the opposite is true. Being smart just gives us the illusion that we can control our lives. And if we're gonna take control of our lives and save ourselves, we're gonna need a little help, and so we turn to the idol. Not just one idol, but many. You knock yourselves out at work or at school because you want to have a better future. But then you keep telling yourself that life is more than work. So you also try to commit yourself to relationships or to health and and exercise and and, and service. And and you try to be well-rounded. We love that term, let's be well-rounded. But that can often succumb to a pantheon of idols in your life where you're just serving more than one God and trying to do well at all of them and not succeeding really anywhere. But we've inherited this from the Athenians. We we, we've learned to diversify on our idols, hoping that at least one of them will come through eventually. And they never do, of course. They're just idols. The Peanuts cartoon strip Charlie Brown is lying in bed, staring at the ceiling. He says, I lie here at night, and I ask myself, where did I go wrong? And Then I hear a voice coming back that says, this is going to take more than one night. Right. It takes more than one night to realize that the problem is that we lie in bed and wonder what we have to do next. That's the problem, as if we could save ourselves. John Calvin wrote that the human mind is a perpetual factory of idols. We just keep coming up with new ones. A perpetual factory of idols. What's next? Something else. Paul was particularly struck by an altar he found in Athens that had the inscription on it, to the unknown God. This may be the idol to which we are most devoted. The unknown one. The one that tells us we have to keep looking for something different than what we have. The source of your unhappiness, the place where you went wrong, that you haven't found the right idol yet. What you need is a different relationship. You need a different career track. You need a different town, you need a different church. You need to keep seeking. Keep seeking, seeking, seeking. We love seeking. You go to a Little World coffee shop and get into a conversation with somebody and tell them that you are seeking, they will say, good for you. Tell them that you've been found by something you're throwing your life into, they're gonna call you a fundamentalist. It's the seeking that we honor, we love, the unknown God. This unknown God makes us frantic at times, particularly when it comes to the future. We're uncertain of the future, the future is unknown, but we worship this thing that we do not know. That's what creates the anxiety. We're worshiping what we don't know. How else could you not be but anxious over that? Where am I gonna go when I get out of here? What kind of job will I find? How will I take care of myself? What if this happens, what if that happens? I don't have a good contingency plan, and we become tied up in knots, frantic, fretting, day after day after day over that which we do not know. And the fretting doesn't help you know what you do not know. That voice, that fretting voice, that voice tells you to be very, very worried, that is never the voice of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice and come only when he calls. If a stranger calls, the sheep do not come because they do not recognize his voice. The reason we worship, participate in the spiritual disciplines, engage in prayer and holy community is to attune our ears to the shepherd's voice, the one that draws us to the perfect love of God that casts out all fear. Certainly fear of the unknown. So Paul goes about Athens trying to talk about this perfect love of God that we found in Jesus Christ, that it's found us in Jesus Christ. He goes to the houses of worship because there are idols there, trust me, there are idols in all houses of worship. You, the church is not gonna save you. Surely you know that by now. I mean, you, you should, you should serve the church, you should love the church, but don't worship it, it won't save you. He goes then after the houses of worship to the marketplaces where people are worshiping the idols of commerce. He goes and enters into conversations in the houses of philosophy, speaking with the Epicureans and the Stoics, all talking about this amazing love of God found in Jesus Christ, a God not made of human hands, but a God who's come to us as a human, in who was human. Eventually, they want to know more about this because, well, it's new, and they love new things. So they bring him up to the Areopagus and have him speak to them. Notice how he begins his sermon. I see you're really religious, which is true. They were really religious. I see you have uh, an altar to an unknown God. That's the one I want to talk about. What you worship as unknown, I know about. Let me talk about this God. And then he begins talking about the creator, this one in whom we live and move and have our being as all of his offspring. Now that was a classic stoic phrase All the people around Paul when he was speaking recognized that phrase because they grew up hearing that from the Stoics, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Notice what Paul is doing here. He's taking all of the familiar religious symbols of the Athenians, an altar to an unknown God, a very familiar Stoic phrase, and he's transforming these symbols for his evangelism in the name of Jesus Christ. Christians have always been good at this. In fact, I think actually we have a genius for this. This is one of the things that we're good at. Stealing symbols, <laughs> baptizing them, giving them new meaning. Baptism itself was around long before Jesus was born. So was communion. We didn't invent communion. We transformed the meaning of it. The Roman Basilica was a marketplace before Christianity turned it into a church. So if we can transform those things, certainly we can transform intellectual concepts as well, using them, entering into public dialogue, using public language, but filling it with new, holy meaning. Well, so far, everything's going well with Paul and his conversation in Areopagus. The people are intrigued by this new teaching, these new ways of understanding their own symbols. But then he gets into trouble and he loses the crowd, when he starts talking about the judgment and resurrection of Jesus. Now, we don't usually hear those two words together, do we? The judgment and resurrection of Jesus. I find people aren't eager to hear a whole lot from the church about judgment. We don't need to be given more information about our failures But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. The judgment of Jesus isn't about our failures or our sins or the many times we've crossed the line. We've got plenty of people around us to remind us of those things. And frankly, the person who reminds us the most is the one who keeps showing up in the mirror. We're clear about our need for judgment, or at least that we deserve it. I think the interpretation of judgment, at least in this text, is that it's tied to resurrection. The resurrection is in fact a judgment on all of our agendas with idols. Because the resurrection says the new life you're looking for, the salvation that you're hoping to find somehow, some way through all of your frantic effort and the next thing you're trying, it's only found in the new life that Jesus alone can give you as he gives you his resin, risen life. As we die with him, so do we then live with him. And what we die to, are all of the idols. All of the old agendas of saving ourselves. It's the only way you're gonna find what you're looking for. This is when they start to scoff at Peter. Isn't that interesting? It's not the church's words of judgment that give people doubt. It's the church's words of hope that make them doubt. Because if they're gonna put their hope in Jesus Christ, and the new life that he can give them, then they have to let go of the idols. And that's what Easter proclaims. It's time to let go of the idols and to receive the new life that Christ was dying to give you. So it would follow him and death by giving up the agenda of saving yourself, giving up the idols, only that you might receive the new life that he can give you, life in Jesus Christ, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.